Chapter six to seven of Book five of Toilers of the Sea, Part one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Adams. Toilers of the Sea, Part one, Sieur Clubin, by Victor Hugo, translated by W. Moy Thomas. Book five, The Revolver. Chapter Six: The Jacressade. Forty years ago, Saint Malo possessed an alley known by the name of the Ruelle Coutanche. This valley no longer exists, having been removed from the improvements of the town. It was a double row of houses leaning one towards the other and leaving between them just room enough for a narrow rivulet, which was called the street by stretching the legs it was possible to walk on both sides of the stream touching with head or elbows as you went the houses either on the right or the left these old relics of mediaeval normandy have almost a human interest tumble-down houses and sorcerers always go together their leaning stories their overhanging walls their bowed penthouses and their old thick-set irons seem like lips chin nose and eyebrows the garret window is the blind eye the walls are the wrinkled and blotchy cheeks the opposite houses lay their foreheads together as if they were plotting some malicious deed all those words of ancient villainy like cut-throat slit wheezand and the like are closely connected with architecture of this kind one of these houses in the alley the largest and the most famous or notorious was known by the name of the jacressade the jacressade was a lodging-house for people who do not lodge in all towns and particularly in seaports there is always found beneath the lowest stratum of society a sort of residuum vagabonds who are more than a match for justice rovers after adventures chemists of the swindling order who are always dropping their lives into the melting-pot people in rags of every shape and in every style of wearing them withered fruits of roguery bankrupt existences consciences that have filed their schedule men who have failed in the housebreaking trade for the great masters of burglary move in a higher sphere workmen and workwomen in the trade of wickedness oddities male and female men in coats out at elbows scoundrels reduced to indigence rogues who have missed the wages of roguery men who have been hit in the social duel harpies who have no longer any prey petty larceners cur in the double and unhappy meaning of that word such are the constituents of that living mass human nature is here reduced to something bestial it is the refuse of the social state heaped up in an obscure corner where from time to time descends that dreaded broom which is known by the name of police in st malo the jacressade was the name of this corner it is not in dens of this sort that we find the high-class criminals the robbers forgers and other great products of ignorance and poverty if murder is represented here it is generally in the person of some coarse drunkard in the matter of robbery the company rarely rise higher than the mere sharper 
the vagrant is there but not the highwayman it would not however be safe to trust this distinction this last stage of vagabondage may have its extremes of scoundrelism it was on an occasion when casting their nets into the épicier which was in paris what the yacressard was in st malo that the police captured the notorious lacenaire these lurking places refuse nobody to fall in the social scale has a tendency to bring men to one level sometimes honesty in tatters found itself there virtue and probity have been known before now to be brought to strange passes we must not judge always by appearances even in the palace or at the galleys public respect as well as universal reprobation requires testing surprising results sometimes spring from this principle an angel may be discovered in the stews a pearl in the dunghill such sad and dazzling discoveries are not altogether unknown the yacressade was rather a courtyard than a house and more of a well than a courtyard it had no stories looking on the street its facade was simply a high wall with a low gateway you raised the latch pushed the gate and were at once in the courtyard in the midst of this yard might be perceived a round hole encircled with a margin of stones and even with the ground the yard was small the well large a broken pavement surrounded it the courtyard was square and built on three sides only on the side of the street was only the wall facing you as you entered the gateway stood the house the two wings of which formed the sides to right and left any one entering there after nightfall at his own risk and peril would have heard a confused murmur of voices and if there had been moonlight or starlight enough to give shape to the obscure forms before his eyes this is what he would have seen the courtyard the well around the courtyard in front of the gate a lean-to or shed in a sort of horseshoe form but with square corners a rotten gallery with a roof of joists supported by stone pillars at unequal distances in the centre the well around the well upon a litter of straw a kind of circular chaplet formed of the soles of boots and shoes some trodden down at heel some showing the toes of the wearers some the naked heels the feet of men women and children all asleep beyond those feet the eye might have distinguished in the shadow of the shed bodies drooping heads forms stretched out lazily bundles of rags of both sexes a promiscuous assemblage a strange and revolting mass of life the accommodation of this sleeping chamber was open to all at the rate of two sous a week on a stormy night the rain fell upon the feet the whirling snow settled on the bodies of those wretched sleepers who were these people the unknown they came there at night and departed in the morning creatures of this kind form part of the social fabric some stole in during the darkness and paid nothing the greater part had scarcely eaten during the day all kinds of vice and baseness every sort of moral infection every species of distress were there the same sleep settled down upon all in this bed of filth 
the dreams of all these companions in misery went on side by side a dismal meeting-place where misery and weakness half-sobered debauchery weariness from long walking to and fro with evil thoughts in quest of bread pallor with closed eyelids remorse envy lay mingled and festering in the same miasma with faces that had the look of death and dishevelled hair mixed with the filth and sweepings of the streets such was the putrid heap of life fermenting in this dismal spot an unlucky turn of the wheel of fortune a ship arrived on the day before a discharge from prison a dark night or some other chance had cast them here to find a miserable shelter every day brought some new accumulation of such misery let him enter who would sleep who could speak who dared for it was a place of whispers the newcomers hastened to bury themselves in the mass or tried to seek oblivion in sleep since there was none in the darkness of the place they snatched what little of themselves they could from the jaws of death they closed their eyes in that confusion of horrors which every day renewed they were the embodiment of misery thrown off from society as the scum is from the sea it was not every one who could even get a share of the straw more than one figure was stretched out naked upon the flags they lay down worn out with weariness and awoke paralyzed the well without lid or parapet and thirty feet in depth gaped open night and day rain fell around it filth accumulated about and the gutters of the yard ran down and filtered through its sides the pail for drawing the water stood by the side those who were thirsty drank there some disgusted with life drowned themselves in it slipped from their slumber in the filthy shed into that profounder sleep in the year eighteen nineteen the body of a boy of fourteen years old was taken up out of this well to be safe in this house it was necessary to be of the right sort the uninitiated were regarded with suspicion did these miserable wretches then know each other no yet they scented out the genuine guest of the yacressade the mistress of the house was a young and rather pretty woman wearing a cap trimmed with ribbons she washed herself now and then with water from the well she had a wooden leg at break of day the courtyard became empty its inmates dispersed an old cock and some other fowls were kept in the courtyard where they raked among the filth of the place all day long a long horizontal beam supported by posts traversed the yard a gibbet-shaped erection not out of keeping with the associations of the place sometimes on the morrow of a rainy day a silk dress mudded and wet would be seen hanging out to dry upon this beam it belonged to the woman with the wooden leg over the shed and like it surrounding the yard was a story and above this story a loft a rotten wooden ladder passing through a hole in the roof of the shed conducted to this story and up this ladder the woman would climb sometimes staggering while its crazy rounds creaked beneath her 
the occasional lodgers whether by the week or the night slept in the courtyard the regular inmates lived in the house windows without a pane of glass door frames with no door fireplaces without stoves such were the chief features of the interior you might pass from one room to the other indifferently by a long square aperture which had been the door or by a triangular hole between the joists of the partitions the fallen plaster of the ceiling lay about the floor it was difficult to say how the old house still stood erect the high winds indeed shook it the lodgers ascended as they could by the worn and slippery steps of the ladder everything was open to the air the wintry atmosphere was absorbed into the house like water into a sponge the multitude of spiders seemed alone to guarantee the place against falling to pieces immediately there was no sign of furniture two or three palliasses were in the corner their ticking torn in parts and showing more dust than straw within here and there were a water-pot and an earthen pipkin a close disagreeable odour haunted the rooms the windows looked out upon the square yard the scene was like the interior of a scavenger's cart the things not to speak of the human beings which lay rusting mouldering and putrefying there were indescribable the fragments seemed to fraternize together some fell from the walls others from the living tenants of the place the debris were sown with their tatters besides the floating population which bivouacked nightly in the square yard the yacrasad had three permanent lodgers a charcoal man a rag picker and a gold maker the charcoal man and the rag picker occupied two of the palliasses of the first story the gold maker a chemist lodged in the loft which was called no one knew why the garret nobody knew where the woman slept the gold maker was a poet in a small way he inhabited a room in the roof under the tiles a chamber with a narrow window and a large stone fireplace forming a gulf in which the wind howled at will the garret window having no frame he had nailed across it a piece of iron sheathing part of the wreck of a ship this sheathing left little room for the entrance of light and much for the entrance of cold the charcoal man paid rent from time to time in the shape of a sack of charcoal the rag-picker paid with a bowl of grain for the fowls every week the gold-maker did not pay at all meanwhile the latter consumed the very house itself for fuel he had pulled down the little woodwork which remained and every now and then he took from the wall or the roof a lath or some scantling to heat his crucible upon the partition above the rag-picker's mattress might have been seen two columns of figures marked in chalk by the rag-picker himself from week to week a column of threes and a column of fives according as the bowl of grain had cost him three liards or five centimes the gold-pot of the chemist was an old fragment of a bombshell promoted by him to the dignity of a crucible in which he mixed his ingredients the transmutation of metals absorbed all his thoughts he was determined before he died to revenge himself by breaking the windows of orthodox science with the real philosopher's stone his furnace consumed a great deal of wood 
the handrail of the stairs had disappeared the house was slowly burning away the landlady said to him you will leave us nothing but the shell he mollified her by addressing her in verses such was the yacrasade a boy of twelve or perhaps sixteen for he was like a dwarf with a large wen upon his neck and always carrying a broom in his hand was the domestic of the place the habitués entered by the gateway of the courtyard the public entered by the shop in the high wall facing the street and to the right of the entrance to the courtyard was a square opening serving at once as a door and a window this was the shop the square opening had a shutter and a frame the only shutter in all the house which had hinges and bolts behind this square aperture which was open to the street was a little room a compartment obtained by curtailing the sleeping shed in the courtyard over the door passers-by read the inscription in charcoal curiosities sold here on three boards forming the shop front were several china pots without ears a chinese parasol made of gold beater's skin and ornamented with figures torn here and there and impossible to open or shut fragments of iron and shapeless pieces of old pottery and dilapidated hats and bonnets three or four shells some packets of old bone and metal buttons a tobacco-box with a portrait of marie antoinette and a dog-eared volume of oisbertrand's algebra such was the stock of the shop this assortment completed the curiosities the shop communicated by a back door with the yard in which was the well it was furnished with a table and a stall the woman with a wooden leg presided at the counter chapter seven nocturnal buyers and mysterious sellers clubin had been absent from the jean auberge all the evening of tuesday on the wednesday night he was absent again in the dusk of that evening two strangers penetrated into the mazes of the ruelle coutanche they stopped in front of the jacressade one of them knocked at the window the door of the shop opened and they entered the woman with the wooden leg met them with the smile which she reserved for respectable citizens there was a candle on the table the strangers were, in fact, respectable citizens. The one who had knocked said, "'Good day, mistress. I have come for that affair.' The woman with the wooden leg smiled again, and went out by the back door leading to the courtyard and where the well was. A moment afterwards the back door was opened again, and a man stood in the doorway. He wore a cap and a blouse. It was easy to see the shape of something under his blouse. He had bits of old straw in his clothes, and looked as if he had just been aroused from sleep. He advanced and exchanged glances with the strangers. The man in the blouse looked puzzled, but cunning. He said, "'You are the gunsmith?' The one who had tapped at the window replied, "'Yes, you are the man from Paris?' "'Known as Redskin, yes. Show me the thing.' the man took from under his blouse a weapon extremely rare at that period in europe it was a revolver the weapon was new and bright the two strangers examined it the one who seemed to know the house and whom the man in the blouse had called the gunsmith tried the mechanism he passed the weapon to the other who appeared less at home there and kept his back turned to the light 
The gunsmith continued, How much? The man in the blouse replied, I have just bought it from America. Some people bring monkeys, parrots, and other animals, as if the French people were savages. For myself, I brought this. It is a useful invention. How much? inquired the gunsmith again. It is a pistol which turns and turns. How much? Bang! The first fire. Bang! The second fire. Bang! The third fire. What a hailstorm of bullets! That will do some execution. The price? There are six barrels. Well, well, what do you want for it? Six barrels? That is six louis. Will you take five? Impossible. One louis a ball. That is the price. Come, let us do business together. Be reasonable. I have named a fair price. Examine the weapon, Mr. Gunsmith. I have examined it. The barrel twists and turns like Talleyrand himself. The weapon ought to be mentioned in the dictionary of weathercocks. It is a gem. I have looked at it. The barrels are of Spanish make. I see they are. They are twisted. This is how this twisting is done. They empty into a forge the basket of a collector of old iron. They fill it full of these old scraps with old nails and broken horseshoes swept out of farriers' shops and old sickle blades. I was going to say so, Mr. Gunsmith. They apply to all this rubbish a good sweating heat, and this makes a magnificent material for gun barrels. Yes, but it may have cracks, flaws, or crosses. True. But they remedy the crosses by little twists, and avoid the risk of doublings by beating hard. They bring their mass of iron under the great hammer, give it two more good sweating heats. If the iron has been heated too much, they retemper it with dull heats and lighter hammers, and then they take out their stuff and roll it well, and with this iron they manufacture you a weapon like this. You are in the trade, I suppose? I am of all trades. The barrels are pale-coloured. That's the beauty of them, Mr. Gunsmith. The tint is obtained with antimony. It is settled, then, that we will give you five louis? Allow me to observe that I had the honour of saying six. The gunsmith lowered his voice. Hark you, master. Take advantage of the opportunity. Get rid of this thing. A weapon of this kind is of no use to a man like you. It will make you remarked. It is very true, said the Parisian. It is rather conspicuous. It is more suited to a gentleman. Will you take five louis? No, six. One for every shot. Come, six Napoleons. I will have six louis. You're not a Bonapartist, then? You prefer a Louis to a Napoleon? The Parisian, nicknamed Redskin, smiled. A Napoleon is greater, said he, but a Louis is worth more. Six Napoleons, six Louis. It makes a difference to me of four and twenty francs. The bargain is off in that case. Good, I keep the toy. Keep it. Beating me down, a good idea. It shall never be said that I got rid like that of a wonderful specimen of ingenuity. Good night, then. It marks a whole stage in the progress of making pistols, which the Chesapeake Indians call Norteuha. Five Louis, ready money. Why, it is a handful of gold. Norteuha, that signifies short gun. A good many people don't know that. 
Will you take five louis and just a bit of silver? I said six, master. The man who had kept his back to the candle, and who had not yet spoken, was spending his time during the dialogue in turning and testing the mechanism of the pistol. He approached the armourer's ear and whispered, Is it a good weapon? Excellent. I will give the six louis. Five minutes afterwards, while the Parisian nicknamed Redskin was depositing the six louis, which he had just received in a secret slit under the breast of his blouse, the armourer and his companion, carrying the revolver in his trousers' pocket, stepped out into the straggling street. End of chapter 7 of book 5, recording by Paul Adams, www.yawnguy.com.